Coming up, what an excellent day for holy water. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 93 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist. Minute by Terrifying Minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And I'm Father David Maury. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. And folks, you may not be able to tell, but this is our second round of recording for this episode. The first one got, um, uh, I guess you could say, pazoozed. I blame Captain mm-hmm. Howdy. He is, uh, he is in here with us, and he is, um, he is uh, not happy that we got a priest on again. This is <laughs> Father David Maury. Hello, Father David. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. You know, I, I paid good money for that <laughs> digital incense that the, the very unsuspicious man in the trench coat told me would definitely work for podcasts. And I, I feel as though I am owed my money back. Oh, my. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm, you know what? Like it, the, the, the digital scent still lingers. Um, but, uh, and hopefully that'll see us through. Um, yeah. all right. I love that non-fungible incense. Uh-huh. incense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that what you call the NFI? NFI. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. NFF, non-fungible frankincense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, okay. So, folks, let's let's jump right into it. Our minute begins with Karis saying, holy water. And then ends with Chris saying, no, I'm just exhausted from work. Aren't we all, Chris? Aren't we all? Okay. Let's get back to the top of this minute here. You'll remember last time, folks, Karis had just taken a bottle of something out of his coat pocket. Or someone. Or somewhere. <laughs> or somehow. <laughs> It's good to know we remember our bad jokes. <laughs> I don't know what's bad about it. This oh, is comedy of gold. Course, Are of you course. kidding? Hey, wait, uh, Father David, isn't any joke you tell technically a dad joke? <laughs> I, I I strive not to have a dad joke sense of humor. Uh, for my day job, I teach at Mundelein Seminary, uh-huh. which has a student population of graduate students, so in their 20s and 30s. And so... Mm-hmm. There's, there's a certain reputation that can build up around you in a student body. I don't know if either of you have any experience with that. Oh, so you, mm-hmm. have, you have to watch the words that come out of your mouth pretty carefully. Ah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm already um, fallen in that respect. I am, I am the lord <laughs> of dad jokes over here. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, but like I said, folks, Karis had just taken uh, a bottle of something out uh, from his coat pocket, and the demon asked what it was. And I think the best way to answer that question, and the best way to kick uh, off this minute, is with another small reading. So, here we go. A reading from the Book of Blatty. The demon looked wary. What is that? Don't you know? Asked Karis, his thumb half covering the mouth of the vial as he started to sprinkle its contents on Reagan. It's holy water, devil. Immediately, the demon was cringing, writhing, bellowing in terror and in pain. It burns! It burns! Ah! Stop it! Cease! Priest! Bastard! Cease! Expressionless, Karis stopped sprinkling. Hysteria. Suggestion. She did read the book. He glanced at the tape recorder. Why bother? He noticed the silence, looked at Reagan, knit his brows. What's this? What's going on? The demonic personality had vanished, and in its place were other features which were similar, yet different. And the eyes had rolled upward into their sockets, exposing the whites. Now murmuring, slowly, a feverish gibberish, Karis came around to the side of the bed, leaned over to listen. What is it? Nothing. And yet, it's got cadence, like a language. Could it be? He felt the fluttering of wings in his stomach, gripped them hard, held them still. Come on, don't be an idiot! And yet, 
Garrus straightened. Who are you? He asked. The entity answered, groaning whisper. In pain, whites of eyes, lids fluttering. The cracked, breathy voice, like the soul of its owner, seemed cloistered in a dark, curtained space beyond time. Is that your name? Then, shortly, it ceased. Are you able to understand me? Silence. Only breathing. Deep. Oddly muffled. The eerie sound of sleep in an oxygen tent. The Jesuit waited. Hoped for more. Nothing came. And there we are. Interesting stuff again. I love Blatty's descriptions. He's so good at evoking imagery that's sad and haunting at the same time. And the sad plus the haunting is what makes it scary, I think. But yeah, so what did we think of the conclusion of his scene in the book? No, yeah, it's interesting because the movie doesn't have the ability at this point, right, in its structure to really slow down much, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to take a, um, a really interesting turn where we're going into the bureaucracy and then it's sort of a different fight. Yeah. But the book can have this time where everyone's like breathing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, mm -hmm. let's think about that. Let's 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 be with Karis as he thinks there. And um, we're, uh, in a movie, you just don't really have that um, affordance. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, let's see how it compares to our minute in the film here. So we are back at the top of this minute. Um, Howdy has just asked, what's that? And we are now on a shot of Karis. It starts with him looking down, but as he answers, holy water, we see that he looks up, perhaps to catch her expression or his expression or its expression. Um, he wants to see how this lands. He stands up and the camera follows him and he makes his way to the foot of the bed. And we can see now that mask is back. You can see it just as he turns away, perhaps to protect himself. Remember, he was just disappointed by La Plume de Matante, so maybe he mm -hmm. doesn't want to get his hopes up here. Uh, now, we cut back, and she whispers, you keep it away. Another cut. Karis is now at the foot of the bed. He begins to sprinkle her with it, moving his arm in a cross pattern, um, and Reagan immediately reacts, uh, screaming, it burns! Um, we then cut to a close-up of Reagan in profile as she writhes on the bed. Something about Linda Blair's face scrunching up like that really adds to the demonic look of the makeup. Her eyes all but disappear in those deep sockets. Actually, these last three minutes, we've gotten to see a very expressive um, Linda Blair under all that mm -hmm. makeup. The scene starts out with her smiling smugly. Uh, what an excellent day for an exorcism. Um, and she's cracking jokes, La Plume de Matante, uh, that old chestnut, you know. Um, she gets really intense until she rots and lies stinking in the earth. And then <laughs> we can clearly see her looking scared as Karis brings out the holy water. And now she's got her face all scrunched up. Like we almost can't tell it's a smile or a grimace or, or, or what. Uh, more on that later. But what I'm saying is this is a testament to both uh, Dick Smith and Linda Blair that we are able to glean so much through this already amazing makeup job. I'm thinking of uh, just a few years earlier, Keenan with like Planet of the Apes, and it seems like you sort of had to make a choice between an amazing makeup spectacle or a masterfully subtle performance. And folks, that's not to say that Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell 
didn't do a brilliant job. Uh, <laughs> they did that simply by virtue of being Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell. Right. But, but they couldn't do that with their cheeks and, and their subtle <laughs> Exactly. They have these or their faces. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they had to they had to work through that like thick makeup. Um, right. You know, there's interviews where they they say that they had to exaggerate all their expressions just mm-hmm. you know just mm-hmm. so it would show up through the prosthetics, right? Right. Now here we can see very subtle expressions from Linda Blair, right? For one thing, like there's not a big like piece of rubber rubber covering her brow. So we get to mm-hmm. see all the expression coming from there, right? And the rest of her face too. It's completely free for her to uh, to act. And I know we said this before, folks, but there is behind the scenes footage of Linda Blair in this horrific makeup just being Linda Blair. And it's not scary at all. Like if you saw her in real life, you'd be like, that little girl is going to win whatever Halloween co- costume contest uh, she, her school is putting on, right? Mm-hmm. And again, seeing her behind the scenes really makes you appreciate the performance she is giving us in front of the camera, this performance that that made people faint in theaters. Mm-hmm. And the use of the word performance, it, I, I had two questions based off of that. So first in The Shining, I can't remember his name, but the actor who played Danny, uh, oh, Kubrick was Danny Lloyd. Uh, yeah, Danny Lloyd. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, Kubrick was really careful to keep Danny Lloyd's experience of filming separate from all the horror that was mm-hmm. going on. That was something that Kubrick right. was really careful about in terms of how Danny was handled and how he was treated on set uh, to yeah. make sure that that sense of innocence and childlikeness was was preserved both for the actor and for the character. What did what did uh, Friedkin do with with Linda Blair to get this kind of performance from her? How did they handle the uh, the the fourth wall shift in her performance? She's walking around all in the big scary makeup, and then mm-hmm. she's doing all this work on set. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, our understanding of it this is partially from Friedkin's recollection, partially from Blair's recollection, is that they treated her like a, a grown up actor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there are there are you know really fun. Um, uh, you know, uh, photos of her going out back and raising chickens and, and doing all sorts of things in her free time. So she wasn't mm-hmm. doing the kind of like method acting stuff that would have been popular at the time mm-hmm. of like Pacino or um, Faye Dunaway or st- like staying in that terrible headspace all the time. Right. Right. But she did when she was auditioning say that she understood that the script was about masturbation mm-hmm. and that it was about violence and that she was um, she was ready for that. Right. And her, okay. her mother. Uh, her mother and her seem to be on the same page about it. Yeah. So it wasn't like constructing a performance the way you would with a child or an animal right. um, okay. by, by almost all accounts. Yeah. So. She had said she had read the entire book beforehand. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> more than I could say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, Interesting. David, yeah. That was a really Interesting. Good, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, then the, 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 second, the second question I had in terms of performance doesn't have to do with the actor, but it has to do with Captain Howdy. Ah. Because I think there's performing happening not just by linda blair but by captain howdy as well because we've we've been talking the last couple minutes about how perceptive captain howdy is and how Mm. captain howdy is playing chess while karis is trying to play checkers and and Mm -hmm. is always seeming to be one step ahead of our our poor uh, scientifically minded priest Mm -hmm. and here as a, as a Catholic priest, I, of course, come to this discussion with a firm belief in the reality of spiritual powers, including the spiritual powers of hell and the devil and all of his other fallen angels. And part of that worldview means that the spiritual reality of things is something perceptible, perhaps in ways that we wouldn't be able to articulate in a scientific or empirically based way. But mm. I would believe that an unclean spirit you know, like Captain Howdy would be able to tell the difference between 
holy water and not holy water. And then mm. I base this off of, there are stories of saints who are able to tell the difference between bread that is unconsecrated, just normal bread and bread that has mm-hmm. been consecrated at a Catholic mass. And they're able to tell that at a glance that there is something spiritually real that they can sense in something that's been consecrated mm. to God. And holy water doesn't rise to that kind of level of holiness, but it has been set aside for use in holy things, for use in baptism mm. and the blessings mm-hmm. of places and persons and the, and the like. So I find it hard to believe that Captain Howdy, perceptive fellow that he is, would mm-hmm. need to be told what's actually in the bottle. And then yeah. the other thing is, you know, he, he screams out, it burns when mm-hmm. the water splashes on him. And, you know, when you burn your hand on mm-hmm. the stove, you're not going to go, ah, it burns. <laughs> you're you're going to ah, ah, you're, you're make some kind of noise of pain, right. but it, it sounds a lot like uh, the robot devil from Futurama. You can't just tell, <laughs> you can't have characters saying how they feel. That makes me angry. <laughs> it's just, it's just very, very performative. So I, I mm-hmm, look at this right. minute, I look at you know, the, the Captain Howdy writing on the bed and screaming mm-hmm. in pain. And there's part of me things like, okay, this is, this is all an act. The, mm-hmm. the, the this is part of that four dimensional chest that Captain Howdy is giving Karis what Karis wants to see when Karis is using unblessed water. Karis wants <laughs> to see a reaction from someone who's deluded. They mm-hmm. operate within this delusional sense, like, oh, it's holy water, so I'm going to react this way because I'm possessed, and it's all part yeah. of the psychosis. And <laughs> that is only going to further unsettle Karis, keep him on the back foot, and make sure that Captain Howdy is the one setting the tone of the conversation. Ah. So do you think that Captain Howdy knows that Karis will catch him performing and that that will just discombobulate him? <laughs> Is that sort of the idea? So that's And that, that kind of gets into what happens later in the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or right. even later in this minute, because mm-hmm. there is, and I don't want to, I would jump too ahead, but mm-hmm. there's... Part of this is the the danger of dealing with the spawn of Satan, with with the spawn mm-hmm. of, the, of the father of lies. Mm-hmm. You're never sure what exactly is true. You're never going to know what exactly mm-hmm. is happening. You know, I'm I'm with Father Marin. Uh, don't talk to it. Yeah. Don't interact with it. Don't believe anything that mm-hmm. it says. It, you're mm-hmm. you're better off ignoring it and invoking the name of Jesus, who mm-hmm. is the truth, mm-hmm. rather than trying to sort of like, okay, well, what, what does this reveal and what is that? Because that, all of that mm-hmm. serves is to direct your attention toward the evil one, toward the unclean mm-hmm. spirit, to the exclusion mm-hmm. of anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a yeah, it is. Thank you, Father David. Um, there is a there is a moment in the book a little bit later on when uh, Father Karras goes to uh, visit Reagan uh, uh, a, a, another time, and uh, one of the first things that Howdy says is like, "Oh, by the way, sorry about that holy water business. Um, you know, I hope I hope it didn't combob- discombobulate you too much. Uh, you know, I'm actually surprised you're back. Uh, but then I remembered priests have no shame, so." Yeah. So, but yeah, but no, but no, it, it's, it's exactly as you say, Father David, um, it like, you can, you can see this as, as, uh, uh, how he right now just being like, oh, the pain, oh, the agony, oh, and then reaches under the pillow, checks his script. It's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Um, you know, a, a long time ago, one of our, uh, listeners wrote in and asked about like, why is, why is Chris an actor in this movie? Like, why mm. is that? And, and, uh, that's something that is so fundamental to this movie, but I don't, I don't, I haven't seen anyone really address that question. So we've had mm. the opportunity to, to mm-hmm. think about that a long time. Mm. Lester has brought up the idea that, well, um, Blatty is basing this off of his friend, Shirley MacLaine, mm-hmm. like her, her personality. And then she just happens to be an actor. So Chris is an actor. I think right. 
that's valid. Um, mm-hmm. But then the more the more you think about, oh, we've also said that like, well, um, Chris being an actor would be one of the few ways that she would be um, rich enough and famous enough to uh, to support a, a little girl on her own at this time period, right? right. She's a single mother with resources and connections. Yes. And also um, when things go wrong, be able to afford 88 doctors. <laughs> right. <laughs> But the idea of performance is something I've been really thinking about since our, our listener, um, our listener, uh, Mike, Mike asked yeah. that. Yeah, because, you know, uh, I don't know how it was for you, Father David, if you even want to get into it. But a lot of people that I've heard um, who grew up in the church who became entertainers talk about like some of their earliest, um, their earliest role models in performance, whether that's singers or actors being uh, the clergy. Um, you mm. know, and seeing them like the cantors or, or, or even, uh, you know, priests and, and pastors like like that they were that that was their exposure where they didn't have an arts background. They would see their their clergy mm-hmm. people. Um, and and so like Karis is going through all of these, you know, deep psychological problems. He's also someone who, as we see in the movie, still has to go to his job and um, uh, pardon the experiment, like perform in front of um, uh, his uh, his parish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Captain Howdy seems to be doing all these layers of performance you're talking about. And we also have Kinderman, who seems to be like this overgrown theater kid who <laughs> uh, who accidentally ended up a police detective. Yeah. Right? You want to so, see so, a movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's doing his shtick, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think performance is sort of key here. Um, mm. uh, you know, Chris off screen and Chris on screen and um, Father Karras and Father Dyer um, on stage and off stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I like also, uh, Father David, you had mentioned in previous minutes um, the perception of uh, of these unclean spirits, right? How they can mm-hmm. – I'm trying to remember exactly how you put it, but you were, you were like they can they can see, uh, you know, like people's uh, inner thoughts or their or – their, I guess their, their feelings or their – uh, their intentions, like we mm-hmm. would, like a color. Hmm. Boy, if I said that, that's that's very well put. Oh, man, oh it's I'm really, really good. <laughs> we, we have it on record. Um, oh, well, good. Yes. Yeah, I would. I, I would. Yeah, I think. I think there's there's something to that. You can mm. see that in the accounts of Jesus's own exorcism ministry in the Gospels, where mm. unclean spirits will know Jesus's true identity mm. before he has said anything. As far as anyone mm. knows publicly, Jesus is this uh, son of a carpenter from. Right, right from Nazareth and he's currently stationed in Capernaum and well, he's got some really interesting things to say about you know, God and the kingdom of, of mm-hmm. heaven. And oh, we should listen to this fellow. And so for uh, someone just out of the middle of the synagogue say, I know who you are, the Holy one of God, right. do you mean to destroy us? Everyone goes, mm-hmm. Whoa, what is happening? But we as readers of the gospel, have the dramatic irony of knowing that the unclean spirit is actually right about who Mm -hmm. Jesus is and is able to correctly perceive that Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. how Jesus then deals with that situation that there's a whole other, you know, exegetical topic I could go into with all that. Mm -hmm. But there is this understanding of the power of these spiritual beings to perceive spiritual realities in ways that are are very present Mm -hmm. to them and that are, that are real and they are able to perceive a different mode of reality than you and I can. Uh, Even though we, we will get glimpses of that when we encounter something truly beautiful and we're moved to the depths of our soul, we're responding to a spiritual reality, whether it's something we see in another person or something we encounter in nature, when we're touched to the depths of our being, there's a spiritual response we're making to something that's real in front of us that goes beyond the simply empirical where Mm. a photo or an audio recording would capture some of it but it's it's being there in that moment that really drives home something that words have a difficult time expressing yeah yeah it makes me think like um and and our question about like like when did captain howdy know about the holy water right and Mm. it's like did it did it like when it hit him was he like wait a minute this isn't holy water but now i mean like after 
everything that we've been talking about just now, I wonder if Captain Howdy understood it as soon as Karis walked into the door, right? Hmm. Or not walked into the door, sorry, walked through the door, right? Ouch. That, would, that would kind of be, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, priest walks into a bar. Ow. Um, but no, I can see, I can see, like, like you sprinkle, you sprinkle fake holy water on a vampire, and they're like, no, no, oh, wait a minute. What is this, right? But then Karis comes in with the fake holy, holy water, right? And before he even takes it from his pocket, right, I can see Captain Hattie's like, oh, here we go. All right. Well, mm-hmm. I guess I better, I guess I better play my part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was wondering, uh, Father David, about when uh, when Karis is sprinkling this holy water, is that you know accurate to what a priest might do in this situation? He sort of does the sign of the cross with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, professionally, there's no set school for how to sprinkle holy water. It's, uh, it mm-hmm. depends upon the needs of the situation for the most part in a, in a, uh, how would I put it, uh, in, in a liturgical use of holy water, uh, say at a sprinkling rite at mass, when there has been mm-hmm. a, a kind of a commemoration of everyone's baptismal promises and the whole assembly is sprinkled with holy water as a, a sign of their initial immersion to holy water. It's just sprinkled all over the place. The priest just goes crazy. Mm-hmm. And maybe you've seen videos of say Orthodox, uh, Byzantine Orthodox priests. They're just these huge branches and they're just right. absolutely soaking everybody <laughs> in the church. It's amazing. In a funeral liturgy, the casket is sprinkled with holy water when it first comes into the church, again, as that reminder of baptism. And the the rubrics of the church simply state that the casket is sprinkled with holy water. And so it's up to Mm -hmm. the priest's interpretation for what exactly that means. For uh, a situation like this, when you're blessing somebody... A sign of the cross is a very performative way to sprinkle holy water. It's not bad per se, but mm-hmm. based on mm-hmm. what we know Karis is doing, he's trying to test how deluded this little girl is. And so he's going to make the mm-hmm. big obvious sign of the cross oh. as he does it to really drive home. Like, this is holy water. Look at me. It's a cross. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, right. That that I, I don't know how much of that is, is Karis making that intentional decision or uh, how much of that is coming from the professional advisor, a priest that they have uh, on the project who's saying, oh yeah, do Mm -hmm. it this way. Uh, Were it me and I were in this unenviable position, uh, I would (laughs) simply do uh, three sets of of sprinkling Mm -hmm. in order to symbolize baptism into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The the sacrament Uh of baptism involves a triple immersion into water, either pouring over the head or dunking the whole person into the baptismal font. And so Mm -hmm. in my own personal liturgical style, I just do three sets of blessings to evoke the trinity the big sign of the cross uh usually only when i'm i'm feeding my inner theater kid and i'm feeling particularly (laughs) demonstrative would i would i do something like that interesting oh wow um (laughs) this actually makes me think about um when i was little uh we would go to church for christmas eve and they would uh you know the priest would walk up and down the aisles um and they would they would sprinkle everybody with uh with holy water as we were sitting Mm. and we were were Mm. singing um when i was very very young i was reading a, I, like I had brought to church a uh, a picture book of the um, uh, of the nativity story, right? Mm. And I was uh, I had just happened to open the page onto uh, the part about King Herod, um, you know, uh, uh, sending out that that message to uh, uh, kill all the, uh, the the firstborn. Um, yeah. There was a picture of King Herod, and as the priest passed, the holy water like fell onto my book, uh. onto King Herod, and I leaned over to my mom. I was like, Mom. He just blessed King Herod. <laughs> and I was all worried. I was like, what's are we gonna get in trouble? What's what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, King Herod needed all the help he can get. Oh yeah, boy. I, think, I, I don't think I'm that pretty, holy water was gonna be enough. Right, right. I'm pretty sure mom said the the exact same thing, something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, yeah, he needs it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, guys, what do we make of um, Karasik's expression after this? So, so after this big performance by by Captain Howdy slash uh, Sick Reagan, um, we get a shot of uh, Karas and his hand kind of comes back down from his his uh, uh, sprinkling of the holy water, and he's got this look on his face. What are we? What are we taking from that? Like, is he? Is this disappointment? Is this awe? Is this like? What are we? What are we thinking? I look at it and I I see a scientist very carefully observing his test subject because mm. he's he's undertaking this from a, a psychological point of view. This little girl is deluded. I'm going to play into the delusion and see how strong the response is. Now I'm I'm a priest, not mm. a psychologist, so I don't know how good of a psychological move this is. Yeah. Kind of on the face of this, doesn't seem like a great experiment. I I don't mm. know how much like actionable data you would you would get out of this, but right. you know maybe Karis knows what he's doing I'll, I'll grant him that on the psychologist side on the priest yeah. side well you know i would have gone in there with real holy water but anyway mm-hmm. with his his face i think he's overcome by the strength of the reaction here mm. where yes this is what he was kind of hoping for like right, one of the right. one of his hypotheses would would have been mm-hmm. that she's going to react to this like it's real holy water but there's right. also this like she's Boy, she's really reacting yeah. to this as if it's holy water. Now I I don't know what's happening here exactly. Interesting. Right. Yeah. I like that in this shot, uh, you know, we do see Karis in like a medium shot. So, you know, a lot of his body, but his eyes are, are really sunken into his uh, Jason Miller blackness, which mm. the movie does a lot with, right? Yeah. It like mm-hmm. allows, his, allows his eyes to fall off in the darkness and we have trouble reading him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I like that here that it is ambiguous. The, the script is less ambiguous if I could read a little bit from it. Sure. Um, so we don't have um, Karis... Uh, so it just says that Karis uh, sprinkles its contents over Reagan. It doesn't have the theatricality of the um, of the cross sign uh, okay. here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Reagan has uh, it burns me. It burns. It burns. Ah, cease, priest, bastard, cease. Oh, wow. So even more robot devil dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's says, stage version, Captain Howdy, and then yeah. <laughs> here we got camera version, Captain Howdy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then this says Karis looks disappointed. So mm. it tells us that it tells you that oh. that is a performance note in the script. Um, which, you know, when we adapt from the script to the actor and their interpretation and then the director working with the actor and then working on how to film the actor with mm-hmm. the cinematographer. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty glad that we've made it more ambiguous. Um, yeah. Than, than he was disappointed. Yeah. As Blatty originally had it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it would be disappointing just to you see know, his kind of shoulders slump and he right, hangs right. his head like, ah, oh, rats. Oh, man. <laughs> Shucks. He just, he just kicks the kicks the air. He's like, shut <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, no, both of you guys are absolutely right. Like you could almost read this expression. You could read it either way. You could almost read right. it like awe, like he's finally witnessing something miraculous, right? But yeah, like the way he just stops with his hands still frozen in that final position and then slowly pulls it back down to his body as he's watching this thing on the bed scream and writhe, like you, you really could think that he's mesmerized here. And, and maybe mm-hmm. he is in a way, because in his mind, he's seeing how far, like you said, uh, uh, Father David, how far this sick little girl is willing to go to make it seem real, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, just to compare to the book. So in the book, as, we, as you've been saying, uh, we know that, that the holy water is fake. Um, right. So he has, he has uh, decided that, uh, not, in the first, not in the previous chapter, because um, uh, Blatty's chapters are very long. But mm-hmm. you know, in the previous section of this chapter, he's yeah. like, I have an idea. And he tells us his idea and yeah. his hypothesis. This is back so, like in his dorm. He's like, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Several scenes mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And so in the movie, we, this is new to us. So it wouldn't work for us. Uh, I don't think Gladdy was necessarily thinking that if we do see him slumping his shoulders, et cetera, and going, oh, mm-hmm. fiddles. Right. <laughs> like, like that, that we, that's too confusing for us in the audience. Right. right. Uh, because we don't have that pre-information. Yeah. So yeah. we aren't going to find out. Yeah. So we could read this right. Ambiguously Kuleshov wise and not know what's going on in his head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then 
all of our answers are wrong. Mm-hmm, it turns mm-hmm. out. Yep. <laughs> That's 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 freaking. All your answers are wrong. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Can't, can't I have one right answer? No. No. Nope. Oh. <laughs> okay. We cut from there, and now we are zooming in on Linda Blair as she continues to writhe in pain, and suddenly we hear her making some really weird sounds. I'm pretty sure this is the movie that taught me what um backwards talking sounds like mm-hmm. like it has a it has a really specific sound it sort of fades in and then gets louder and then abruptly stops right and that's because naturally when we make words we sort of like explode outward at the beginning and then we trail mm-hmm. off right uh-huh. so so even just the word like i has a sharp abrupt explosive beginning and then it sort of like fades out right so then when it's backwards it's like yeah like that mm-hmm. right and so now uh, I think uh, everyone today, for everyone today, I think backwards talking is immediately recognizable, right? I, uh, but but I'm curious how it was perceived back then. Like, actually, I can't even remember when I, uh, like, what I thought when I first saw this. I can't remember a time I didn't understand what was going on here. But there must have been a time when I was like, what the hell is this? Like, do you guys remember first seeing and hearing the scene and, and what you thought? I think I'm with you. I think I understood it as backwards talk immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... It, it takes a minute to clue in because uh, Kevin Howdy's making all other kinds of noise here. But right. yeah, my, um, <laughs> my, my parents are big Beatles fans. And so we had the, the complete catalog. And so my father pointed out the back masking to mm-hmm. me and my brother on revolution number nine, which mm-hmm. fueled right. the whole uh, Paul is dead kind of urban <laughs> legend. Right. If you played the vinyl record backwards, you would get this message. Paul is dead. Paul is dead. Miss him, miss him. And mm-hmm. that, and that was part of the, the, the play with, uh, with vinyl recording. And then as magnetic tape became more and more common as a recording medium, you had audio engineers playing with, the ability to record something forwards and then play it backwards into the mix so that it was presented as something strange and alien. I think I remember even like Ben Mm. Burt talking about as a kid, like on some like Flash Gordon serial or something, there was an alien race where they had done something with the audio to record it play it backwards and then have the actors speak it forwards again, like as a phonetic recreation or to create this sense of an alien language. And so Ben Burt was always trying to figure out how they did that and to do it himself because Mm -hmm. he's he's Ben Burt. That's that's who he is. He's Mm -hmm. obsessed with sound. But there's, I think Mm -hmm. for me listening to this, there, there's that sound where like, yeah, this is like speech. And the only mm. reason I didn't, I would not immediately have thought of it as backwards talk is because we're dealing with a demon. So maybe this right. is some kind of actual demonic language and not just English backwards. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what the the Revolution Number 9 is like the 68 or so. So that mm-hmm. would have been, yeah, about when, um, right, right, right as people are discovering, because yeah, you weren't the, um, you weren't alone, right? I think a lot of people were like really impressed by, um, by that album mm. um, and, 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 and so Started to learn about audio and all that so um yeah because that uh, less you know about that paul, paul oh McCartney the paul's dead yeah, yeah, dead. yeah. <laughs> well do, you know, oh, wait, you know, do i know paul about, dead and do i know about the fact or do i know about the, the thing that was happening <laughs> it really happened as far as i as okay far as I all right who's to say lester who's to say that paul mccartney wasn't replaced who's oh to say <laughs> or when's to say <laughs> or how's to say i don't like this bit yeah. anymore no right but yeah um you know so that's like this really cool audience interactive thing of people going and, and trying to trying to find you know not just hidden meanings right because that is crazy Paul mm-hmm. is not dead um but like how, yeah how it's made how it's put together mm-hmm. so yeah I, I i imagine that there were more more people who understood this as backmasking or um reverse talk than 
than not uh, mm. in 1973 when this came out. Interesting. But enough that it wouldn't be like, Karis, you're an idiot. That's right. really backwards speech, right? <laughs> like there might be people in the audience like, oh, I know what this is. I know what this is. I know what this is. But not like, how does he not know what this is? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. But okay. I, and I think Karis does recognize something um, comprehensible in it because mm-hmm. why else would he move the microphone closer right. to her face if there yeah, wasn't right. like if there wasn't something worth recording here if he just thought of this as like okay the usual grunts and groans okay whatever but yeah. his action focuses our attention on the noise that she's making and that yeah, action right. is him in, expressing his character's interest in the sound and it's a visual way for us to hear more attentively yeah mm-hmm. he is um I got the impression that he is either studied enough in language or he has a language lab uh, director friend who is Mm -hmm. um, that he would recognize this has like a certain cadence. It has a certain it's not it's it's different from gibberish in that it has like a style and a cadence. Um, Mm -hmm. They keep Mm -hmm. saying cadence in the book. So I'm going to keep saying it. Cadence, cadence, (laughs) cadence, cadence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So that raises a question that I've been wondering, um, if we can, if we can spoil it here. Um, we know, we know that, we know that this is an act. Howdy is playing Karis right now. Um, Howdy already knows that the holy water is not real, right? He's leading Karis on. Um, this is a multi-layered duplicity, right? Karis thinks Reagan is the one playing tricks, but in actuality, it's Howdy playing tricks, right? By pretending to be Reagan, uh, playing tricks, right? By, by Everybody got that? I followed you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let me let, you can let find me find the that flow again. chart in right? your show notes. <laughs> yeah. So it's not Reagan playing tricks. It's Howdy pretending to be Reagan playing tricks. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. So then my question is: Is Howdy banking on Karis figuring the backwards speech out? Like this is actually something that really scares me. That Howdy is that good of a liar that he can pretend to be caught off guard like this. Because what looks like what happened is that Karis did something. And Howdy has now slipped into this like semi-conscious state where he's rambling what seems to be nonsense, but then we come to find later that it has meaning. And every time I read it or watch it, I'm like, yeah, Karis cracked the code. And I got to remind myself, wait, 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 no, he didn't, right? This is all a setup, right? Howdy was banking on him. Howdy was like hoping that he would figure it out. Um, And so not only that, but like, so there's, there's two layers to this. There's one, it seems like what Karis did is forcing Howdy to do something against his will. Like he, like the backward, like he's, he didn't mean mm-hmm. to do the, the backward speech and he's been like, like uh, put into a trance and now he's doing the backward speech. But then the other part of that is when we uh, decode the backward speech, it seems like there's many voices talking and they're all talking to each other and they're all talking over the, each other. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, fear the priest. No, not this one. Or let's wait. No, let her die. And they're, they're arguing with each other. So, in my mind, I'm like, okay, we know from Father Marin there is only one. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Howdy has put up this like one man, one act play <laughs> backwards <laughs> to trick Karis, who may never even figure it out. That's that's my that's that's the thing that's blowing my mind right now. Like like what if what if Karis just never figured it out? Like that's a that's a lie hidden within a lie. You know you know what I mean? Well, this is the um, Dark Knight Skyfall Black Panther trope that um, mm. is just something that bothers me, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, in the exorcist, uh, you know, it's so early and, and, and we aren't necessarily thinking about this, but this is the villain who wants to be caught and pretends not to be, want to be caught. Right. Mm. Because that's the only way it could be right. As you're saying, mm-hmm. right. Because, because Captain Howdy will say Marin backwards and then right. you have to call Marin. So Captain Howdy's plan is to bring Marin there. Right. right. Like otherwise. Yeah. What, 
Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, what is this? <laughs> like, I'm just thinking, like, like if if Karis didn't figure it out, and then he mm-hmm. comes to the house uh, another uh, for another visit, and he's like, "Oh, is I I, I I bet you were wondering what that weird language was." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and Karis is like, "Yeah, I just you know what? I just can't figure it out." It's like, "Oh, wait, you, you really you can't figure it out?" <laughs> oh, well, maybe you should go back to the language lab <laughs> and retrace your steps. Hey, hey, let's rewind and just, you know, like he's really trying to like, come on, Karis, I set this whole thing up. You gotta mm-hmm. like. Or eventually you just be like, Marin. Yeah, you know what? Father, you know, I'm hungry. You know, you might want to, you might, might want to give me a steak, but you'll have to marinate it first. <laughs> I, I wonder whether this isn't a situation that Captain Howdy is setting up so that he wins either way. Um. So if, if, Karis figures it out, then he gets Marin, and that's a win uh-huh. in Howdy's book because mm-hmm. uh, Howdy wants to take down as many people as possible, and and let's just aim right for the top. Uh, mm-hmm. Howdy is feeling his oats, and he thinks, all right, let's let's shoot for Marin. That guy's mm-hmm. been a thorn in in the devil's side for a while. Let's take care of him. Yeah. And if Karis doesn't figure it out, then Reagan wastes away to nothing. This little girl dies. Her mother is left bereft. This mm-hmm. priest is left feeling powerless, and his mm-hmm. uh, his movement away from the faith, away from his priesthood, and away from his ability to mm-hmm. sacrifice mentally represent the person of Jesus Christ in the world is going to be undone. Mm. That is also a win. So mm. for, you know, again, four dimensional chess here, if, if we're going to buy into the idea that captain, Howdy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, that that's, that's the only way I can make sense. If of this scene where captain, Howdy is the one in charge, mm. maybe he isn't though, oh, right. because I think there is still some honesty to the, the sense of it being forced out of him. Okay. Because if, you know, Kevin Howdy, yes, he's very smart, but the thing that you have to be smartest about is knowing how other people are dumb. And mm. so uh, Kevin Howdy knows how dumb Karis is. Mm-hmm. And if he wanted Karis to get Marin there, he would just say the name Marin forwards. Mm. Right. So there's, I think there's a way in which something is at work here. And again, as a Catholic priest, I believe mm. very strongly that there is a, a act of God that is happening in this room mm. because I believe as a Catholic that a man ordained to the priesthood is set apart to represent the person of Jesus Christ in a particular way mm. uh, that is ordered toward a, a ministerial reality and ministering and making present the mysteries of God's mercy and power and love in the world. Mm. And so while Karis is wrestling with his faith, while Karis doesn't really see himself as a priest Mm -hmm. in Catholic theology, he still is his Mm. sacramental ordination remains a fact of his spiritual life, whatever he feels about Mm. it. It is not based on his own subjective experience. Mm. So there is still a spiritual reality that Howdy recognizes here. And because that remains a spiritual fact, it remains a spiritual window for the power of God to come through. Mm. And so even in this kind of imperfect, uh, not up to snuff, spiritually, theologically speaking, approach that Karis is taking. Mm. Still, there's a priest in the room and he is trying Mm. to do what is best for this girl, this Mm. person made in the Catholic understanding in the image and likeness of God, made for freedom, not made to be possessed and and made a plaything of evil spirits. Mm. And Karis is trying to do what's best for her. He's he's not going about it the right way, but there is still some authentic charity. He's putting himself in this situation with no obvious benefit to Mm. himself. Mm -hmm. And he's doing so, I wouldn't say perfectly selflessly, but still with a sense of love, with a sense of charity here. Mm. And that's not nothing. God is not proud. God will take what we give him. And so Mm. I, I wonder 
if the finger of God isn't pressing upon Captain Howdy a little bit here and forcing this admission out of him simply because there's a priest in the room trying to do what is right. Hmm. And that is where Marin's name kind of escapes out of the evil one where the the Captain Howdy admits to the truth when he's asked who you are. It's like, I am no one. And Mm. I, I think that's true that, mm. but that ultimately uh, evil is a privation of the good it's it's a nothingness there is no person mm. there that's what makes the devil such an effective liar he lies about mm. himself uh it's like mm. you know you mentioned the dark knight is the joker he is a multiple choice mm-hmm. uh, backstory that there is right, nothing yeah, there <laughs> he is no one there there is no person there's no motive to discern there's no history to figure out there's no person to engage with there's just a nothingness there that constantly mm. vomits up all these lies to try and drag us into the same abyss mm. Mm. that's really that that actually kind of goes with uh something keenan and i were uh, talking about in well, I guess we have to say future episodes because we're re-recording this episode, folks. Remember? <laughs> oh um, gosh! So we've actually we have we've actually uh, recorded like ninety four, ninety five. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Time but and space. Do, you know. Do they know that we know that they know that do we're they, in the past? Keenan, did you did you ever have a recording that you we that we you know we did do could with? It, it. Why is my nose but bleeding? No, in, <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly I'm speaking back to <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, like Keenan and I talked about that that phrase, "I am no one," right? And we haven't gotten to it yet, folks. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I've always been fascinated by that, the "I am no one." And since Father David yeah. brought it up here, the idea that um, and and I think we theorized that uh, like. Uh, because we were talking before about, um, you know, comparing, uh, you know, the Christian devil to um, other Abrahamic uh, religions, right? You know, in Judaism and, and, mm-hmm. and Islam. And, and uh, there's, there seem to be these, uh, these gifts that are exclusive to, uh, to man, to human beings right. that perhaps um, these unclean spirits covet. And we, we were thinking of, well, there's, there, there could be free will. There could be um, a, a couple other things, right? And, and maybe perhaps a physical body, right? Mm-hmm. And one other thing uh, that, that the I am no one line kind of brought to me was what if, what if another thing that is coveted by these demons is just an identity, like, mm-hmm. a, like you are you are yourself. You are part of you. Like you can, you can name yourself. You can, you can uh, uh, identify yourself as something rather than just kind of like part of this swirling abyss, right? Mm, and that could yeah. be like Captain Howdy could be experiencing. I don't know what it what it is to be individual. Like for the first time in millennia since he is possessing this girl, he's like, oh, this is this is what it is to Who has to be. Yeah, she has an identity and a yeah, mother right? and, a, and a lifespan. Mm-hmm. And right, hmm, I have well. hands, I have feet, I have a name. <laughs> like you know, this yeah. is weird, right? I don't remember saying that in the future, but if I did, that's pretty <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> no. I don't remember saying that in the future. That's a that's a really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird time, folks. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, what do you guys think of that? Uh, yeah, I think I think the. I think the question of identity is an interesting one because to have an identity means that I am capable of entering into relationship because if I know who I am, I know who the other is. And Mm. at the root of every relationship is love, the the capacity to will the good of the other as other. In order to do that, I have to know who I am and I have to know who the other person is. And I I think that's Mm. why unclean spirits are, are, are 
rooted in evil. There is no love there. There is an abnegation right. of self and there is just an all devouring ego. Everything has to belong to this, this thing that I am. There is no differentiation between others. Mm-hmm. When, you know, it, it's like how in uh, children's psychological development, uh, young infants don't have a sense of self. Right. Everything is is them, and they have that mm. that sense of immediacy. Now they grow mm. out of that, thank goodness. But it's also yeah. why young children are very hard to deal with, and why they have a hard time understanding that other people have brains and they have needs mm. and they have things that they want that aren't the same as what the child wants. Mm. And the the unclean spirit, like someone like Captain Howdy, is that tendency all grown up in a certain sense, just absolutized and uh, turned into this, this devouring abyss where there is no mm-hmm. differentiation of identity. I am no one. Everyone is no one. And I think mm. that's part of the terror of uh, the, the name of Legion in mm. say the gospel of Mark, mm-hmm. that there would be all of these voices inside this single person, but all these voices are still one somehow. Mm. It, it's, it's like this dark and uh, antithetical image of the Christian understanding of God as, as one God in three persons. But right. there is a, a perfect relationship of love mm-hmm. where you have the paradox of one and three held in tension with each other, whereas everything collapses in in the 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 egotism of the one in someone like the devil or or Captain Howdy. Mm, right. Interesting. Oh, very good explanation. Mm-hmm. Ah, I love these. I love these talks. I love these philosophical talks. Um, <laughs> so now we have cut to a close up on Karis's face, and he certainly looks convinced right here. Right? He asks the demon, "Who are you?" Right? Mm-hmm. We cut back over the shoulder, and we see Reagan as she continues to twist on the bed. And if you listen, you can hear Howdy saying, "No one may." Right. And some of you might know already what that means. Right. Um, oh, another question really quickly. Um, is the footage also in reverse here? Uh, I don't believe so. OK, because her movement hmm. seems a little bit unnatural. Right. Like in, in the way that like she can't like I can't put it into words. Right. But I was trying to recall as uh, Father Dave was talking about Ben Burt discovering back masking in the audio of the Flash Gordon. I was trying to recall there is there is some horror movie somewhere. There's probably multiple times uh, actually where where they recorded people walking backwards and then and then put it in reverse. to me. Mm. Right. Uh, I don't think that's what's happening here. It would mm. be. A, it, a little jerkier than this, I think. Mm, it'd be it like it's it's brief enough where you mm-hmm. might not catch it if it did happen, and I feel like they didn't catch anything. Like there's no there's no like stray hair that falls upward right. or anything like that, right? right. Um, but yeah, but like if that's true, if this is if this is played like forward motion, mm-hmm. um, then then that means Linda Blair is lip syncing backwards speak perfectly. That's a good point. I think that's mm. what's happening. I'm looking back at this this moment now. Yeah, I don't believe the the video footage is reversed. So okay, yeah, mm. that's yeah. good. Yeah, she's doing some strong work here. Pretty pretty good stuff. Yeah. All right, so uh, we cut back to Karis, and he looks troubled. Right, he may not understand what Howdy is saying, but it is affecting him. Right, and here mm. Howdy begins to scream in multiple voices, uh, and as it crescendos, we cut back, and we are closer on the bed, closer to that hideous face. Again, folks, all praise to Dick Smith and Linda Blair. This is mm-hmm. scary stuff. And folks, just as we are looking at this face, another sound comes out of nowhere. Keenan, Father David, what is this? It sounds like both organic and inorganic at the same time. Like I know, I know that at certain points they did in fact combine uh, Howdy's voice with like animal noises, like right. a lion roaring and stuff like mm-hmm. that, right? It sounds like this could be like a bear or a lion, but it also sounds like it could be like a heavy metal thing, like a chair scraping across the floor. Like I see oh, those memes, right. like uh, like those TikToks where like they take the T Rex sound 
mm-hmm. from Jurassic Park, and then they just dub it over like somebody dragging a chair across the floor. It's like, you know, <laughs> and it almost sounds thought- like that. It almost sounds like something big and heavy. Or like, yeah, uh, I, I think it's I, just the tape recorder scraping across the oh. floor as Karis moves the microphone closer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're plagued with wires in this age. <laughs> yes, I like, you know, I'm, I'm teaching classic TV right now at UNLV and like mm. the history of television. And I think it's fun when, when you show uh, students like a remote control back in the day, which had a wire attached to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was still called even a remote control, but it had a wire. And that just yeah. so countered everything we thought. Right. Still remote. It's, it's technically remote. <laughs> exactly. yeah. It's still remote. Yeah. And, and there will come a day in like a generation where just a remote control will be an object of historical fascination. Like, well, does it, we control oh, everything yeah. through our through our uh, implants that we have in our foreheads. So why would you need anything <laughs> oh, in order to? <laughs> or even now, just with that the phone, is... your phone can be your remote for so many devices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Your phone can be your wallet. Your phone can be... <laughs> um, your uh, your your uh, your address book, your map, your right. Uh, yeah, right. But it's like, you, oh, you know, oh, I went on a date with this guy. We didn't get along together. Uh, like my implant in my brain is Apple. He's on Android, right? Oh, we just we're just not <laughs> compatible. We don't describe, like literally not compatible, right? <laughs> we're gonna have some weird Android Apple baby. I, uh, you know, can't can't have that. No, 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 no. Mm-mm-mm. But yeah. Um, okay. So now we cut from here to a really cool shot. We are downstairs looking up and we are following Karis as he goes down the hall. And if this was a person and not a camera, their head would do a complete 180 as we follow him down that <laughs> double set of stairs. Right. And again, mm-hmm. we are we are uh, positioning things between us and the camera. There are points where we are looking up through the rectangular structure of the stairway or through the bars of the banister. Right. Mm-hmm. We've seen this so many times in the movie. I love the decision to to make it seem as if the camera is another person, right? right. Is us in the scene, uh, watching and following the characters as they move, right? But not from a, a, a place that a person can't be, right? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like we really could be standing there at the bottom of the steps, looking up and turning our head as Karis comes down, right? Maybe not all the way around, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be... Uh... That seems to be something that Blad, that I'm sorry, that Friedkin mm-hmm. um, and Owen Roisman, the cinematographer, are really interested in this movie. Like again, not necessarily the one that you notice when you're watching it the first time because you're so taken by the story. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we're constantly just looking at regular spaces from expressionist angles, right? German expressionists or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that Friedkin, who you know, in the French Connection, is very dirty. Is more of the feeling of it, right? Like mm-hmm. him being behind ledges or moving, shooting through grates and shooting through um, through staircases, right? Mm-hmm. Makes the picture look dirty. Here we're using some of the similar tendencies, but it doesn't look dirty. It looks, um, I don't know what it looks. Mm. Uh, well, um, I, I, would, I would say it looks unsettling because unsettling. we because we get a we get a personal perspective. On this scene, right. it, it's not a. I was. I, I brought it up earlier, but you compare this with the shots in The Shining, which mm-hmm. are very impersonal. They're removed from the characters. Right. You're, they're yes. made to feel isolated in the hotel, or it's a little too close. Like when we're following Danny on the steady cam through the hallways. It's, there's this this sense like there's space is framing what's going on. Here mm. we have rather the character determining the focus. We're less right. interested in the space of the house and more interested in watching Karis come out of the room. Mm. And to me, I think that speaks to this sense of oppression that settled over the house. That even right. though Karis isn't in the room with Captain Howdy, Captain Howdy is still aware of what's happening. He's yeah. still watching as Karis is leaving. Karis doesn't get to escape. It's not as easy as closing a door and being able to move on. Mm. There's a there's a, a malevolence that is 
tracking with him because we can't have you know like the classic hitchcock down shot to emphasize that Mm -hmm. karis is powerless in this because he's just a tiny man in a small house Mm -hmm. no we we, but we have this kind of almost predator kind of view through the bars of the banister as if something some kind of animal is hiding in the bush and watching its prey Ah. walk unknowingly by i like that a lot and Mm -hmm. then this will um bleed into our our next minute but eventually karis will um cross where the camera is and so like it is like oh we're the camera we're predatory but then karis will pass by us without noticing us <laughs> which mm-hmm. i think is yeah in, in the context of father david's talking about that's even right scarier like yes we get to look right. at him and then he doesn't even know that we're he doesn't even suspect that we're there that reminds me of that moment in uh silence of the lambs where um starling is is walking through the darkened house and mm-hmm. uh we got our uh buffalo was like oh wait where isn't she a big fat person mm-hmm. um we got him uh we got <laughs> buffalo bill with the night vision goggles and uh, he's right. like reaching out to her right? he's he's right there but uh, she doesn't like know the edges of her hair yeah, yeah. Cool. thanks lester well you know <laughs> sweet dreams <laughs> you too listeners um okay uh now as karis is walking we can hear chris though we can't see her uh she is saying no i'm like uh in seclusion right and then we got a pause and no no i'm i'm just exhausted from work mm-hmm. without being told or shown we can tell she's on the phone with someone and we can also tell well we can tell a lot from just those two sentences half of the conversation um and we can guess that someone is uh, asking where she's been when she's coming back and uh we might find out more in the next minute but mm-hmm. for now that is all of my notes keenan father david is there anything we missed Oh, that's well, everything I have. Yeah, I just I like just to tie it back to the point you made about Chris mm-hmm. being an actor. Uh, Chris is acting mm-hmm. here. She is nope. acting like a tired actor and she is putting up a front. She's putting up a facade for the person on the other side of the phone. And so mm-hmm. that, that's I think that's also part of why Chris is an actor in this story because she has to pretend that everything is better than it actually is. Because if, mm-hmm. if you had a normal person who was not mm-hmm. trained in presenting a character and, and presenting emotions as if they were real, then mm-hmm. that they would just completely come apart at the seams. They would right. not be able to go out and, and meet the priest on the bridge in the middle of the park with everyone else living their normal lives all around them. They would just go running down the street with their hair on fire. Mm-hmm. And oh so, God. so this is part of part of the kind of the framing of the story. We're, we're able to believe that this is happening because Chris is able to maintain just, just enough normalcy <laughs> so that nobody is, uh, nobody around her is freaking out about this weird situation in her own house. Right. That right. is a really good point, Father David. Yeah, because I mean, like we were talking about before how uh, Chris is, I guess, in in like parodies of this movie uh, or like, you know, little little skits and sketches and things like that. Um, sketches. Uh, she she is always portrayed as kind of like the hysterical mom. It's like, oh, my God, everything is falling apart. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, we've commented on this show how she is able to to present this facade of like being being together and being uh, able to uh, uh, uh function um until she's like alone and she's able to kind of like right. let it all out right yeah. when she doesn't have an audience exactly yes. mm-hmm. oh wow wow very very good point father david okay um guys i guess that's it mm-hmm. folks this has been another excellent exorcist minute i've been lester ryan clark you can reach me on all the socials as lester ryan clark and i've been keenan Diaz, and you can find me on instagram at letterbox as howdy keenan and i've been father david mowry uh i have everything 
uh, together in one place at fatherdavidmowry.com. Uh, you can see my other appearances on other Movies by Minutes podcast uh, collected and organized there. Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd. So if, if you want to know my thoughts on movies that I have just walked out of the movie theater and seen, uh, you can find me at venerable underscore bead. Excellent. Wonderful. And folks, we got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out and request to join and we'll let you in here with us. Thank you so much to everyone who has shared the show by word of mouth or on social media. And a big thank you to everyone who has given us a five-star ratings on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to our show. We really appreciate that. It's going to help our little podcast grow and find more cool people like you. Keenan, Father David, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Oh, I think I am too. Folks, until next time, the, the power, power of acting, acting compels you. you. Captain Howdy, to be no one, or not to be no one. How is that possible? <laughs> Methinks this Howdy doth protest too much. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Alas, poor Karis, I knew him. <laughs> Get thee to another. Oh, that actually works. That's, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, um, well. uh, what dreams make up now? Oh, Max von Sydow was in that movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> At least uh, in all the movies. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, he's in, he's in all the movies. Um, Behold, I am dead. My soul is in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just say where your soul is. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, it burns. It burns. Uh, uh, line. It line. burns. What? It burns. It burns. <laughs> it burns. It burns. Okay. So, like three times? You, you're uh, saying yeah. three times? Mm-hmm. Okay, and is like, should I, should I, should I do like, like an, an, an upward tick on on the third one, or uh, you know, I just like, I I'll freaking, I don't know, like, what, what I, am I feeling here? Like, I don't what, know, am I, what, what is my motivation? I. What do you think? I well, don't ask me that. <laughs> You're the director. <laughs>